Welcome to the Global Watch Prayer Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we build community in prayer to empower the church from local expressions to global connections. For more information and resources on the Global Watch, visit theglobalwatch.com. Everybody is looking really good this fine day. We want to welcome you. Everybody, this is the Global Watch International Call. It is January 16th, 2023, 6 a.m. Jerusalem time. And we are starting week three of the unveiling, which is our special three weeks of prayer that we are doing at the beginning of the calendar year. Week three focuses on the end time call of the watchman. And this hour, we're kicking off the week with this hour, which is the journey, which is our weekly discipleship hour. And this session, is going to be very special with a very special guest. For this hour, we have David Slyker, who is the, David, I'm not sure of your t- exact title, but I, something like president of the International House of Prayer University, otherwise known as IHOPU. And forgive me if I didn't get your title quite right, but David is amazingly knowledgeable about the end times and the, what the biblical Bible says about the end times. He is a terrific teacher. And we just, he, David spoke at uh, s- several sessions of the meeting that we had in Heronhood last August. And we just, we were just like sponges, just soaking up everything that, that David, that you had to say. And we we're just very thankful for you, very thankful for your willingness to spend this hour with us. So I just want to bless you, and then we'll just turn it over to you. Or actually, we'll, actually we'll do, we're going to do a worship song first. Right? Yeah, so, so welcome, welcome everybody. This is a week that we're opening with the Watchman Call to the End Times focus. We've got a pretty heavy-duty week ahead with very interesting special guests, and we're launching it with David Slyker tonight or this morning, afternoon, whatever it is for you. So I'd like to just open us up with this worship song by Phil Wickham. And it's called The Battle Belongs. Amen. We thank you, Lord, that the battle does belong to you. And we are so thankful for that. We're so thankful that we're yours and that we belong to you. And that you say very clearly that you'll never leave us or forsake us. And we thank you that we just say, praise be to God who trains our hands for war and our fingers for battle. And this is what we have to prepare for as we're in the end times. Father, we just want to bless David Slyker. And and David, we just declare over you great favor, that God's favor surrounds you as with a shield, that 2023 is going to be an amazing year for you and for your family. And uh, we just declare that all the effort and the work that you have put into your ministry and studying God's word and teaching it, that, that it's going to, it's going to, the effects are going to multiply, that you're going to see that the seed that you have planted over the years is been planted on good soil. And you're going to see those students that you have had and that you're having right now, that they're going to do great and mighty things for the Lord, that the people who know their God will be strong and will do great exploits. And you're going to see some of the fruit of that this year. We just declare it. And we also declare over you every single day, great wisdom that the Lord would give you that spirit of wisdom and revelation every day so that you would know how to study God's word, that you would know how to 
teach it, that you would know the people that you need to most need to mentor in your life, and that the joy of the Lord would be your strength. And we just declare over you and your family great protection. We declare no weapon formed against you will prosper, that the Lord would hide you in the shelter of his wings, that no harm would come to you, no destruction near your tent. And that includes your wife and your children, and that you would have more than enough provision to do everything that God has called you to do. We just declare those things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, David, welcome. Thank you. Fred and Susan, it's so good to see you again. So good to see your faces. And good to see faces of different folks that we were with this summer. This summer was a really special time for my wife and I. And so we are so thankful that we had the opportunity to be with y'all. And that was a really dear time. And uh, I, we think about it often. So this is really special to be back with you tonight. This is, this is a, I believe, you could say this about many time frames, but I just believe we're in a very unusual and significant moment. And so I just want to give a quick kind of overview of where I think we're at in the in terms of the grace of God, the body of Christ, the return of Jesus. And then I want to look at a couple passages and then I want to take some questions. Last time I did this was a year ago. I was on this call. The same themes, same idea. And I remember last year we had a robust Q&A time. And so I want to make sure that I give time for that because it was very enjoyable. So very quickly, I just want to give a quick overview of where do I think we are? In other words, I think we're in not just because of world events and not because of just what the eyes see, but, uh, but in the bigger picture, there's an acceleration of things that are happening across the earth. As you all know that uh, in my 20, 30 years, I've not seen anything quite like it. And as an amateur student of church history, I don't know if that I've ever heard of anything quite like it. And to say it briefly, <clears throat> the, about a month ago, about a month ago, we received a really key visit from, from some dear friends, IPC, the International Prayer Connect, Jason Hubbard, and then a few other key missionaries. And their aim, their desire, they came on December 5th, 2022. They came just last month. And their desire was to launch one of the most ambitious missions initiatives I've ever heard of. They want to target 110 cities across the earth with the gospel. The way that they're going to target these 110 cities is quite ambitious. Again, I've never heard of anything quite like it. They've already done a test of this strategy in one of the, one of the 110 cities. I can't say which one. It's a very closed Middle Eastern city. And out of the initial test run, they saw 200,000 become new Jesus followers. They saw 9,000 house churches. They saw significant results from the kind of practice run that they've been gearing up towards. And, and so this initiative, this ambitious initiative, is so ambitious that their desire was to saturate it with the kind of intercession that, uh, that for them was very stretching, for us is very stretching. And so they wanted to mobilize and genuinely have commitments from underground churches, from underground networks. They have genuine commitments from well over 110 million intercessors. And their plan is to, on key moments throughout the next year, 
They, they're going to, on January 22nd, they're going to take a day at 110 plus. It's significantly more than that, but they're going with the more conservative number. 110 million intercessors on January 22nd are going to pray for the Buddhist world. Then on April 17th, they're going to, during the night of power for Ramadan, they're going to pray 110 million intercessors. The house of prayer here in Kansas City is joining them, of course. And they're going to pray for the Muslim world. And then May 28th, that's the one that I'm staring at going, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? They're going to be mobilizing 110 million intercessors. And again, these 110 million, they're mostly underground. They're mostly unknown saints. And many of them, of the 100 million, many of them are former radical jihadist Muslims. And so think about this, converted radical Muslims are going to, on May 28th, they're going to be crying out with one voice, 100 plus million, they're going to be crying out for the salvation of Israel, for the blessing of God, the Father, on Israel, on every Jew. It's, I think it's going to be one of the most significant days of intercession in human history. There's just never been anything like this before. And so it's a significant moment. It was a significant moment for us because they didn't know. They came to IHOP to launch this initiative, this prayer initiative. They came on uh, December 5th, and for us, December 5th was the 40-year mark of the beginning of our ministry. December 5th, 1982, night and day prayer meetings, the ministry begins in Kansas City with Mike Bickle, and, and it began with Isaiah 62. That was the first sermon he ever preached on December 5th, 1982, Sunday morning. He preaches Isaiah 62. He preaches Watchmen on the Wall, which should be a very special passage for this team. Well, he preaches the setting of Watchmen for the salvation of Israel. And so this team comes to us on December 5th. They don't know the significance of the date. They came to us and they said, hey, we're coming to you with a word from the Lord. They said, they never say this. They go, we feel like we have a word from the Lord. It's Isaiah 62. We feel like we're to bring Isaiah 62 to you today to birth this initiative of intercession. And so that was a really special moment for us. A year ago, September 19, 2021, a prophetic man named Chris Reed prophesied to us. He said, you're coming up on a 40-year moment as a ministry. You've been laboring for 40 years, your 40-year mark, and you're at the crossing of the Jordan River. Then you're about to cross into long-awaited promises. And so here we are on the 40-year mark of the beginning of our ministry. Starts with Isaiah 62. 40 years later, Isaiah 62 is the word of the Lord. And the initiative is 100 million intercessors contending, crying out for the great harvest, contending for Israel, the salvation of the, Jew, the Jewish people. It's, uh, it's quite significant. So the International Prayer Connect, they have a website about this, the 110 Cities Project. They have a website with all the information because I'm forgetting the fourth date. There's a, but we're committing to these dates. There it is. Thank you. We're, we're committing, IHOP is, to, to lean in to these dates. April 17th is Ramadan, the night of power. January 22nd is the Buddhist world. May 28th is Israel and the Jews. And we're committing to these dates um, until the Lord returns. We're committing to do this on, an, on a regular basis, on an annual basis. And the, one of the promises that we've been asking the Lord for and contending for is the raising up of a hundred million Gentile intercessors for the salvation of Israel. And so here we are, this is a 
significant moment. If I'm looking at world events, crisis, storm, difficulty, controversy, but I'm looking at what the Lord's raising up out of some of the hardest and darkest places on the earth and the timing of it all and all of the prophetic poetry that's connected to it. And I'm quite moved. It's a season of the beginning of fulfilled promises. And they're significant fulfilled promises. They're not just our personal promises. They're not just corporate promises for different ministries and groups. This is a moment of fulfilled promises for the body of Christ worldwide, culminating with the salvation of Israel and the return of Jesus. So what that means to me, that's the first part. The second part is what this means to me is I believe that two things are required of us. Number one, I believe what's required of us, and I would say that for this family of intercessors and watchmen, I would say as you are fathers and mothers to the next generation, the, I believe it is incumbent upon us to hand the next generation dream for a deep, robust spirituality, a deep, robust life of intimacy with Jesus that can bear the weight of what's coming. In other words, the to be blunt, if you know me, I, I excel at blunt at times. I believe that some have handed the next generation a, a fluffy, hypey, sometimes emotionally driven, sometimes in the name of in the name of positivity. There's stuff that we've handed the next generation in terms of our faith that I believe is insufficient to bear the weight of what the times demand of us. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit, like never before, is going to begin to call young and old, the next generation, but our generation and beyond. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to call this generation of saints to a deep, robust, secret life in God, a secret life of intimacy, a secret life of deep spirituality, of deep communion and deep connection with the Lord from his word. Know a knowing of Jesus from his word as the word is living and alive and active within us. The spirit of prophecy in the truest sense, the testimony of Christ Jesus. The example I always use is the example of the Shulamite in Song of Solomon 5, when she is in the darkest moment of her life, and it seems as if there's no presence of the Lord. There's no protection. There's no favor. There's no blessing on her life. As her world is watching her, out of her mouth spills out the most beautiful truths of Jesus the different truths of the attributes of Jesus, his leadership, his love, his skill, his wisdom, his ability to lead her life. The detailed attributes of Jesus come spilling out of her of the overflow of a lovesick heart in the worst moment of her life. And I believe that is a template. That is a foreshadowing of the body of Christ in her darkest hour. It's going to seem like the darkest hour to the observers, to our world that watches us but it's going to be, in some ways, the most joyous moment of our life in the midst of the greatest pain and darkness because the deepest intimacy and the deepest knowledge of Jesus will be our portion by grace. And spilling out of us will be the beauty of Jesus that, uh, that we've apprehended in the place of prayer and study. And my third point, if the first is true, we're in clearly unprecedented times of promise which I believe also has a, a, 
an intense side to it of persecution, which requires a deep spirituality and it requires a deeper life and intimacy with Jesus, then I believe the next thing that, uh, that we've got to give ourselves to is we've got to give ourselves to a new, for us, the Western world, a new paradigm of persecution and a new paradigm of what it means to suffer for the kingdom. And by new paradigm, what I mean is persecution in the West is generally something that we want to avoid altogether. If we can, we want to be victorious over. We want to, which we don't call it avoidance. We just call it victory. Persecution is something that people, that wicked people do to us that we need to endure, that we need to bear with. And so preparation for persecution looks like the ability to bear what they're going to do to us. And when I say it's time to consider a new paradigm for persecution, I'm talking about a new paradigm from Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes, a new paradigm from John 15 and what it means to abide in him. And a new paradigm from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Paul's paradigm for persecution is very different than the one that I generally run into in the West, which is either escape it through victory and triumph or endure it as we endure what wicked men do. But the new paradigm is persecution as a blessing from God. It is a privilege to endure persecution from Paul's vantage point in 2 Thessalonians. It's a privilege. It's a sign of the call of God in our life in a unique and special way that we can't bring upon ourselves because men are wicked. It's Paul explains in 2 Thessalonians persecution as something that God appoints to our life as a special grace that is a blessing that is not just for our good, but for the good of the people around us and for the good of his sovereign plan and his great name. And so there's a lot to what I just said. There, the, each phrase I just said has pages and pages. But, uh, but then Jesus in John 15, we isolate this phrase in John 15. We isolate greater love has no man than this, Jesus said, that he would lay down his life for a friend. We isolate that verse. But when we expand on our understanding of John 15, when we read the whole passage, he goes on to talk about persecution. He goes on to talk about the rage of the nations and what we will suffer. But if we connect the next passage that follows in John 15 with the idea of friendship being the laying down of our life, connecting the two ideas, Jesus calls the greatest expression of friendship with him, the greatest expression of intimacy, the greatest expression of love that we can give to him is our willingness to lay down our life in the context of persecution, that we understand Matthew chapter 5, the only beatitude that Jesus says twice. It's the only one. Jesus says meekness once. He says mercy once. He says hunger for hunger and thirst for righteousness once. Persecution is the only beatitude he says twice. He says, blessed are you when you are persecuted. And then he says it again. Yes, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. That's, that's Matthew 5. So Jesus' paradigm for persecution, again, not the kind that just happens because we're in a negative context or there's wicked men doing something to us. Jesus in Matthew 5, Jesus in John 15, and Paul in 2 Thessalonians are talking about a different paradigm of persecution. They're talking about the kind of persecution that comes from God's sovereign leadership 
as an appointed call on our life, we were specifically chosen and it is a blessing that we are. That's just not how we think in the West. And I don't know, that's how anybody thinks in the East. They endure persecution at the hands of wicked men, but I don't know that we think in terms of being called, being chosen, the sovereign hand of favor on our lives to endure persecution because it is good in terms of the, our fullness and our destiny in loving Jesus. It is good in terms of the way in which it reveals who everybody is in a way that's clear. And it's good in a way that establishes and vindicates the name of the Lord. God's reputation is connected to our persecution and our response of love for him in persecution. He actually puts his reputation on the line by picking certain ones to endure persecution that they can't make happen themselves. We can't make persecution strike our lives. There's a coming persecution that only God can make happen. But when it happens, it is a blessing and it is a, 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 an occasion for Matthew 5 rejoicing and exceeding gladness because we've been chosen for something that is a great honor, according to Paul in 2 Thessalonians. We've been chosen to put God's name on display, his worth and his beauty, that in the persecution, our love becomes a witness of his worth. And in persecution, our love response the beauty of Jesus that flows out of us like the Shulamite in Psalm Solomon 5, it actually proves or vindicates his name as worth it, even in the worst of situations. But it, it reveals evil as evil. It reveals God as God. And it accelerates our interior life. It accelerates our love into fullness. You actually, I believe, can't get to the fullness of your destiny in loving Jesus without that kind of troubled tribulation persecution that uh, that is works as an accelerant to bring you into the fullness of your calling to love jesus the first commandment paul last passage paul says as much in romans 5 1 through 5 that we rejoice or we glory in tribulation because we know what it produces it produces uh perseverance it produces character it produces hope a hope that does not disappoint because the love of Jesus is poured on our hearts by the Spirit of God. And so persecution becomes an occasion for the increased outpouring of the love of Jesus in our hearts. We can be confident that commensurate to the persecution that we suffer, the love of Jesus will be poured out in sufficient measure commensurate to the persecution that we suffer. We rejoice because we know as we're getting hit with the persecution, we know that there's a greater grace that's coming to us from Jesus and the outpouring of his love on the inside. And so it accelerates that love relationship. And being very quick with some very big ideas. But I'm just kind of, I'm not trying to right now do a comprehensive teaching on all those points. I'm trying to aim a bit. And where I'm aiming is this sovereign moment that we're in. This, I believe that things are about to accelerate globally to another level. I believe from 2020 until now, we've been in a season of acceleration, good, bad, and ugly. The glory of God, the wickedness of man, the rage of Satan. We have been over the last three years in an acceleration season where everything is becoming heightened. But I believe starting this year, we're going to step into another acceleration. It's going to go even more fast and intense 
glorious and troublesome. Man, so to summarize, I believe our contribution to the next generation, besides prayer and intercession, what we contend for in the place of prayer, breakthrough, breakthrough in a generation's secret life in God, breakthrough, a deep spirituality that can bear the weight without offense of the days that are coming, but not just without offense and not just the ability to bear with it, but the ability to be filled with exceeding gladness and joy fueled by the beauty of Jesus in the face of what, in the face of what's coming. But then that new paradigm of persecution, this is something that's been appointed to us. This is a calling on our lives. And Paul prays, 2 Thessalonians 1, therefore, that we would be worthy, that we would be found worthy of this calling, that we would fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness, the work of faith with power, that we would put something on display for the world to see. The persecution calls attention to the church, and our love calls attention to God. There's beauty that God wants to bring forth from the church, and he has appointed for us to suffer persecution. It's not just what wicked men are going to do. God has appointed it for his church, and it is his joy to bring us through it with great love and great joy into the fullness of love for him and the deepest place of friendship, John 15. Okay, I just said a lot. So I'd love to pause for a second. Questions, comments, et cetera, um, et cetera. One of the things I've noticed, David, from IHOP and Mike Bickle's teaching lately is that when I did the end time study, there was a lot of emphasis on the timelines and where everything fit in. But now it seems like you're really emphasizing the character of how we stand in days of adversity. And I really appreciate that emphasis because I know that we've gone through trials that way. And I'm here to say to all of us, we're going to be tried in our character. And do you want to speak into that at all? I don't want to see people being knocked off their wall because this offense comes in and they're not ready to. The thing I appreciate about, I love the Song of Solomon. If you know me, you know I love that book. Because the roadmap, the template, where the book of Romans gives us this way of grace. In other words, how do we as a people enter into the full glory, the fullness of love, the fullness of intimacy, the fullness of communion, the fullness of what it means to be alive in the Lord? The Romans 8, that fullness that we step into in terms of our salvation. But uh, the thing I love about Song of Solomon, pairing the two together, is the Song of Solomon gives us the journey of grace. So if Romans is the mechanics of grace, to use that term, Song of Solomon is the journey of grace. So what do the mechanics applied to our life look like over time? And so we see this journey, this Shuluite, and what the Lord does in his leadership, it's so skillful. He doesn't just bring her right to chapter five, which St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. That moment of intense persecution, that moment of intense mistreatment and potential offense. He doesn't just bring her to that moment. What he brings her in the first four chapters to a place where, as I said, her paradigm of suffering and persecution has changed. We know that it has because the prayer she prays in Song of Solomon 4.16. She says, I don't just want the south winds, though I want those that they help me grow in love. Bring the north winds, bring the suffering, bring the difficulty, 